Explore the minds and marketing strategies behind today's winning brands and businesses. Tap into the power of the creator economy with Earned by Creator IQ. Here's Connor Begley. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Earned. Today, we have the esteemed Megan Streeter, the CMO at Pros Hair Care, and I am pumped to have you. Uh, welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks, Connor. Excited to be here. So, Megan, I didn't realize how long we had known each other until I started prepping for this interview. We go back like almost eight years now, which is uh, pretty cool. It's been a while. It's been good. I remember the first days that we were together in a conference room in New York, uh, chatting all things social for Diva Curl. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, well, for those that don't know Megan, let's uh, let's talk about it. So you've been 19 years marketing the beauty category across some of the largest players. So that's L'Oreal, Estee, Avon. And then more recently, you moved to the indie brand side with two super hot indie brands. So Diva Curl and Pros, you know, uh, Diva Curl. And it, both of those, I think you took over $100 million in sales. Diva Curl got acquired and then acquired again by a strategic Henkel. And then obviously, again, Pros is growing very quickly. And I think if we were to talk about kind of influencers, I think you were one of the earliest investors in influencers. And, you know, since you've come on, it's been fun to watch kind of pros rapidly rise up the rankings. So 68% year over year growth up 21 slots to number 54. So you passed some really killer brands. I think you passed your uh, key competitor, Function of Beauty, Sexy Hair, Tresemme, Pantene, only a few spots behind L'Oreal Paris, which... I hear they're a pretty pretty big company. So uh, so nice work. It's it's super impressive what you've accomplished. Uh, what you have accomplished. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're in good company with some of those brands. It's been an exciting trajectory. Um, we have a lot still to do. Um, we're obviously trying to get in that top ten, the elusive top ten tribe. But yeah, it's been a it's been a good run so far. It's funny how much that's become you know a thing. <laughs> it's uh, but. Um, Actually, you know, before we get into, so I want to get into your background stuff, but I kind of want to ask you more of like a current topic, right? So one of the things, so there's a lot of disruption that's happening in the social media space, both from an advertising perspective, right? With the iOS changes, um, as well as from an influencer perspective, as you look at, you know, a lot more content being created on TikTok, but a lot less branded content, right? Because branded content doesn't do as well on TikTok. So talk to me about, you know, and I know last night at dinner, we were with a bunch of executives and like, oh yeah, you know, we just aren't seeing the same return on investment that we saw specifically within the, the kind of Facebook ecosystem. What are you seeing? Like what's happening? What's the latest? What's working for pros? What's not? Yeah. I mean, the business over, first of all, pros has been around now for five years. So mm -hmm. still, which is incredible. We have our five-year mark coming up next month. Um, there's been a lot of change since I think with iOS, with meta, um, also the differentiation between organic and paid and where you're getting the best ROI. And ultimately, you know, what we're seeing in terms of success is a blend of both. So mm -hmm. obviously mm -hmm. paid is going to continue to be, um, where a majority of our investment is put in. Um, but we're also seeing that playing field change a lot, obviously with players like TikTok coming in and having both, um, great success both on the paid and the organic side. But when it comes to influencers and it comes to content, that's also not going away. So I think, you know, as you think about what's changed over the last five years, I think influencers was always part of your media mix, um, but it wasn't as I would say such a big pie, uh, piece of the pie that's continuing now. 
It's somewhere that we're going to continue to invest. It's something that we're continuing to test and learn. Um, and especially for pros where it's all about personalization, right? Finding that kind of the right synergy between who um, we're able to represent through an influencer or in a partnership and creating that authentic relationship is becoming more and more important for us. And so if the pie, slice of the pie is getting bigger for influencers, where is that pie coming from? Like what's getting smaller? Yeah, I mean, I think we're looking at, we're always constantly testing and learning, right? We're always yep. looking from upper funnel all the way through. Um, where we're saying in terms of how the pie is shifting is um, we're just looking at different mediums. So I think where maybe Meta is our number one partner as of today and will continue to be. So that's yep. going to be a staple. Uh, I think where there's a new landscape that's also coming out is also OTT. Um, yep. There's a lot of untapped opportunity there. And then when it comes to where the pie is getting smaller, I mean, I think some of the other efforts that we've done from an organic standpoint, we're just more choiceful. Um, so it's just finding the balance between the two. That makes sense. For those that don't know what OTT means that aren't CMOs, maybe describe that for them. What is it? Net net digital video, as simple yeah. as possible <laughs> over the top, but digital video. So very simply said. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, okay, cool. Okay. Well, let's take a step back. So talked about that a little bit. We'll revisit a little bit more later. But I want to talk about your career, how you got here, right? So when I think about people that listen to this, I think that there's a group of people like yourself, very sophisticated, know what they're doing, know where they're going. And obviously they want to learn from their peers. But I think there's a lot of people that, you know, want to follow the same path that you went on, right? Because I think that for you, you know, you became an SVP CMO very, very early in your career, much earlier than most people do. So for you, talk to me a little bit about that journey. Like, how did you get there? What were some of the things that you learned? Um, and, you know, would you recommend a similar path in terms of, you know, you went through some of the more strategic players like L'Oreal Estee early on as kind of a finishing school. Um, talk to me about that, that early part of your career. Sure. Yeah, it's funny when you're like, all of a sudden when you say 19 years, it's been quite a while. Uh, I still feel <laughs> young, but uh, it's been a while. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I, you know, my career, Fundamentally started with L'Oreal, moved to Estee Lauder, went to Avon. Um, when I think back to those years, they were great training grounds. Um, it's where, obviously, I, at least I believe, I learned and honed my skills when it came to marketing. But there was a certain like inflection point that I remember with uh, Avon, and I was like, I think it's time to try something new, and I think it's time mm -hmm. to do something different. And there was just also a point where, as much as I enjoyed working in the corporate world, I wanted something more entrepreneurial. And at that time, um, the acquisitions weren't as I would say quickly happening within the corporate world. And so for me, it was a natural transition to look at a smaller company, be able to be part of something that I'd be able to build and grow with, uh, be able to test and learn a lot more easily, I would say. And then also be able to understand like, how do you run an independent company, like a like private independently run company from the ground up. And that's what I was really looking for at that time. Um, and so both Diva Curl, you know, gave me that opportunity. And I also say here at Pros because they're totally two different profiles. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, you, you know, I have, I would say in retrospect now, very like classic, you know, trajectory of going from big corporate, doing global US, different categories, um, now going to more smaller PEBC back. And I had an amazing career and I'm very fortunate. I think probably if I was someone in my shoes today and if I 
I'd probably go more the entrepreneurial route right away. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think you can learn a lot in terms of um, being agile and adapting. And I think the marketplace is changing so much. Um, that being said, there are so many fundamental skills that I got from Avon or from L'Oreal that I probably wouldn't have been able to hone. So it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard, you know, decision to make um, when you're early in your career. Um, but if there's an amazing brand that you love that has a mission that is meaningful to you and you think you can grow with that company, that's where I would start first. And that could be big or that could be small. So it just really depends on the opportunity. Yeah, well, I think in a lot of ways, the dynamics around brand creation have changed a lot today, yeah. right? Versus the past. Like yes. now you can, you know, set up an e-com store on Shopify right. and white label some products. You can, you know, or private label some products and you can kind of get going fairly quickly, right? And so that's just led to, and there's unlimited shelf space on the internet, yeah. right? So that's just led to um, an explosion in indie brands and a lot of creation, a lot of creation of value and learnings there. And yes. so, you know, um, and I know that 19 years sounds like a long time ago, but then if you look at, if you look at me, I think I'm 14 years. So, yeah. you know, I'm not too far behind. Uh, I remember I was at a wedding recently and like all the young people were getting together and planning their night out after and like, nobody consulted me. Nobody asked me yeah. to join. Nobody was like, Oh, like I'm not, is Connor I'm ready? Not, Is he gonna come I'm out? Not in, I'm not in that group anymore. Uh, so, uh, so I'm not, I'm not far behind you. Um, very cool. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, your first 11 years were focused on skincare, makeup, fragrance. And then it was interesting to me that, you know, the first brand you jump into is a hair care brand, right? Which is a very different category um, and not a category, at least based on what I can tell when you had marketed to in the past. Um, what, and then obviously you've stuck with that, right? With pros. So what made you decide to kind of jump into hair care? And then what do you think is different having, you know, marketed now skincare, makeup, fragrance, and hair care? What do you think are the differences across those categories in terms of kind of how you do it? Yes. So interestingly, I didn't really think I was going to get into hair care to be very honest. Um, <laughs> so, but what I loved about the Deepa Cole brand was not only were they trying to like solve a problem for curly hair, um, people, but also the passion that came behind it with the stylist. And so for me, you know, through my career, I think one thing that I've always tried to do is no matter where I go, I try to learn something new. And with Diva Curl, there was a few things I'd be learning. One was hair care because I didn't never had marketed that. Two, I didn't know the stylist community at all. And so it was a totally new distribution channel. Um, and then three, you know, anytime you kind of go to a company or you're looking at a brand, it's like the product actually worked. Um, yep. And I just remember when I was originally doing my research, I had asked around to all my, because I have straight hair, so I'm not your typical uh, curly hair customer or user, but I remember asking a bunch of people just saying, do you see a curl? Tell me about it. What was your experience? And through and through, every single person said they absolutely loved the product. And I think as a marketer, that's kind of the special sauce and it's what keeps people engaged. It's what keeps converting them and coming back. Um, and so it's what interested me because I knew that there was something there to build, uh, while being able to learn something completely new. Now, when it comes to pros, I truthfully did not think my next step would be staying in hair care. Um, <laughs> totally not. It was, I was like, I'm good. I learned hair care. Very interesting. <laughs> awesome. Um, we should try something new, but what I hadn't learned or what I would consider master and I'm still learning every day is around the D2C space. And so mm -hmm. for me, 
that's what really attracted me to come to Prose. And I remember when I sat down with our CEO and our the co-founder Arnaud and Paul and Nico, what they had built to me was absolutely extraordinary. And yes, it was about beauty, and yes, it was about customization and. Um, and, you know, obviously hair care is at the forefront of where we are, but I think it was also everything behind that they built from a proprietary standpoint that really struck me as something very unique. Um, and specifically when it came to personalization, that's what really kind of drew me to pros. Um, cause I had not seen any other brand out there today and we are, we will consider ourselves the leader when it comes to personalization. Um, being able to legitimately create a made-to-order product um, and that is able to exceed expectations. So for me, Prose was really incredible. It wasn't necessarily about hair care. It was more about the D2C aspect, personalization, yep. the digital tech, um, and this very data-driven approach that they had created in a very short period of time. I mean, the company has grown, you know, in over five years to $100 million and it's, and it, it's, and we're on a great trajectory. So it's been incredible. Yeah. I wish it only took us five years to get that, yeah. <laughs> to get that mark. Um, but, uh, so tell me a little bit about some of the learnings there within those two things, right? So what was it kind of coming in, having a kind of a background that is mostly retail focused, right? What have you learned about direct to consumer that was surprising over the last year? or last uh, couple of years. And then as well, what have you learned? I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to create custom products for every customer. That sounds like a disaster, uh, or at least very hard. So <laughs> talk to you about those two things. What are the challenges associated with those, uh, those channels or those problems? Yeah. Um, I would say what's been interesting is the playbook that you know, is not the playbook that you can actually bring to a, a specific D2C company. I think what I've learned over the course has been definitely around performance marketing, obviously, going from retail to performance marketing driven. I think also just the digital product experience is really critical and key to like um, how you're going to convert and engage and keep them coming back. Um, and we have an incredible, I would say, digital product and tech team um, that has really been able to hone into that. So I think that in itself has been a tremendous amount of learning. And it's it's like it's the art and the science. Right. And so and that's what's here as well is. There's the art of marketing that has to come and tell the story. There's the science and the algorithm and the data-driven approach um, that really has been something that is one of our advantages when it comes to pros, but also has been a great learning. And so how yeah. you integrate that in terms of creating a really true vision for what should the company be, how should the brand um, look and feel and also engage has been definitely something different. And how do you continue to evolve? I mean, I think that's the other thing with retail, you launch, you try to iterate, but typically you launch and leave and um, you try to sustain as best as possible. When it comes to DC, you're constantly iterating, right? You're constantly yeah. optimizing, you're constantly learning. And so I think that's a real shift in terms of approach, but that also makes you that much more nimble and be able to adapt um, to what's going in the marketplace. Um, so I think that's been, you know, a key, a key difference. Um, when it comes to challenges, Yes, of course, making a single product for a single use for a single person is very challenging, but it's honestly what drew me to it because Arno's vision with Nico and Paul was to kind of change the beauty industry, right? Like to like, you know, flip it on its head in a way, instead of creating all these mass products and just putting it on shelf and it's sitting there rather really thinking about that's not very sustainable. It's not good for yeah. the climate, you know, it's not 
good for the earth, good for the climate. Um, and so instead being like, how do we actually deliver what someone wants and how do we do it very thoughtfully? Um, and how do we do it in such a way that's economical and makes sense from a business standpoint? And so they have been able to crack the code, which has been incredible um, and very different from what you see out there today with other brands. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it aligns with where consumer values are going, which is good, right? And then, you know, on the D2C side of things, you know, the thing that I've found that's really powerful is like how fast you can close the feedback loop, right? Yes. Like I remember one of the things that I thought was just the most fascinating approach was um, uh, Moise Ali, who's the founder of uh, Native Deodorant. Mm. And, you know, they launched Native Deodorant and I think they said they did like 24 different formulations in the first 18 months. And what they would do is they would actually sell like under the same label. So you'd buy a product, but they'd actually sell you like two different types, right? So they have a small difference in terms of product ingredients. And then they would track repurchase rates based on, you know, after that. And because they were doing it all direct to consumer, they could see that very clearly. And then that allowed them to go from, I think it was like a 20% repurchase rate within X period of time, to like 40%, which yeah. like, you know, and then kept driving that up. And it's like, well, now that means every customer you're acquiring is worth twice as much, right? Because yes. they're, they're repurchasing at twice the rate. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really cool part of the direct consumer experience that you don't get with retail. Yeah, and, and what I would say too for us, which makes us unique, obviously we, are, we have a subscription model, right? And so that also in terms of repeat order and bringing the customer back, but we also have an interesting feature called review and refine, which mm. allows the customer after the first order to be able to tell us what worked, what didn't work, how do we need to modify? Um, where did we hit like five stars? Where are we one star, right? And so yeah. that as they get their next order, we're ensuring that we're able to address whatever their concerns. And then through their hair care journey over time, we're also able to address if things have changed within their profile. So mm -hmm. if someone has moved, for instance, you know, climate has a major impact in terms of how your hair is. Is it dry? Is, you know, humidity? Or have you had something, your diet has changed in such a way or physically in terms of um, if you're going through menopause, for instance. So with having that relationship and that one-on-one -on -one relationship with our consumer that allows us to kind of really truly tailor the product to their needs and then it also creates that relationship that keeps having them come back um so it's been a very unique going back to what you were saying is that closing that loop that allows us to keep the loop not closing but securitous and keep moving and so that we can continue to evolve yeah absolutely I mean, that's the beauty of you know most software businesses or subscription businesses as well and it keeps you honest, right? You have to keep delivering value. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, people aren't going to keep paying you. Um, so it's a very easy way to know whether whether they're they're finding the value or not, right? Quickly. Yep, absolutely. So going back to, you know, this concept that we met very early, both in terms of, you know, Tribe was only just a few years old and, you know, um, you were at DivaCrow at that time. And you guys made the decision, I think, to invest in the influencer space and the social media space at a time when it wasn't necessarily as obvious that everybody was putting, you know, or at least the size of the budgets that people were putting towards it. What were those early signals that you're like, mm, I think this is really important, right? Like, this is something that we should start investing in now, um, even though it's not necessarily as in vogue as it is, say, eight years ago today. Yeah. Back then, I think what we learned was 
So we were trying to create a community of advocates and loyalists, right? Mm -hmm. And the Curly community is a very vocal community. So we understood that there was definitely something there to tap into. And our approach was, I, th I would say, was a bit different, um, especially back with Diva Curl, is where we started on really building relationships more at the micro level. Um, we didn't really jump to the macro level. We thought yeah. that the best way to kind of create advocacy, create authenticity, really long lasting relationships was to start smaller and build. And what we started to see was just the referrals, right? We started to get, you know, um, you know, signals that this was working and moving in the right direction, not only from a social perspective, but obviously a referral perspective and purchases. Um, and what was really helpful back then, even when you guys were still young is like, there was no way to measure, right? Like this was like yeah. the key thing, like, how do we actually measure this? Um, cause everyone wants to know how much is being spent, where is it going to, what ROI? And I remember with tribe, we were like, oh, finally, there's a platform that we can work with. Right. And so, yeah. um, and we needed that, right. To justify the fact that we wanted to put this investment, um, because it was new territory back then. Um, and now it's established territory, um, but it helped prove and, you know, kind of create success cases as to why should we invest, where should we invest, how should we invest, and allow us to continue to build that as we were moving on. So I think, you know, over time, it was a build. Um, it definitely yeah. was like a test and learn and a build, um, but it, it became an integral part of our strategy, not only from a consumer perspective, but also stylist perspective. And I think back then there wasn't as much diversification as there is now today. So when you think about content or you think about talent or you think about, you know, what's really resonating. And I think through Tribe, um, it's helped us even here at Pros to understand what makes most sense. Where do we really resonate with our community? How do we actually create the impact that we need and what's the right level of investment? So, yeah, well, I didn't. I wasn't uh, fishing for compliments, but I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so let's talk about, you know, again, a lot's changed since 2015 and we hit on this a little bit earlier, but how would you say, you know, the approaches of pros today different, differ from say where you were in the early stages at Diva Curl? Yeah, I would say the big difference is probably, you know, five years back, it was all organic relationships, right? Mm -hmm, Typically, mm -hmm. It wasn't as paid to play. Um, or it wasn't perceived well back then, right? So I think there was definitely um, a, a difference when it came to how are you investing within your influencers? Now it's just part of it, right? Like there, you have organic relationships, you have paid relationships, but you're also much more transparent about that. So I think transparency has changed a lot. Um, I also think the type of um, what I would consider the type of influencers you're engaging with, I think you're much more thoughtful as well. Um, and I think we're really, as we think about pros, um, we're really trying to understand when it comes to like being a personalized hair care company, you're not just for one person, right? You're not just for one community. Yep. So trying to figure out what that means and how you address that through influencers or through your social content or whatever that is definitely is a shift. Um, mm -hmm. so we can't be as myopic. I think as we were previously, we definitely have to have more diversity. Um, and then also I think across platforms, right? The platforms have changed so much over the last uh, five, six years. Um, so the explosion of TikTok, as we all know, now there's Be Real. I mean, it's just constantly, Snapchat was the hottest thing ever. So I think also where you're playing with your influencers or partnering with your influencers um, has also changed a lot. 
And then I also think the partnerships, um, what does the influencer expect from the brand and what does the brand expect from the influencer has to be synergistic. Um, so I think there's just a lot of things that have evolved over time and in a good way in terms of how to help support one another in each other's journeys. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a shift that we've seen from kind of the early days of pure organic to more of a blended approach, right? Where and the reality is that people are now starting to make it a career, right? And so right. for you, you want to make sure that you're supporting that in the same way you would have supported a publisher in the past, right? Like, hey, this is somebody 100%. that, you know, gets us a lot of coverage. Let's find ways to partner together where, you know, they can benefit financially. Um, one of the things that, you know, is more of an observation that I've had over the last, I'd call it three to six months is, you know, there's been this narrative since we started the company that the space is always changing, always changing, always changing, always changing. And then I got into the narrative and like, I don't know, but like, has it right. And, and it has, right. But what I've noticed is the way it changes is different. And what do I mean by that? So when we first started the company, which was like 10 years ago, you know, there was new platforms popping up every day, right? So Snapchat got founded in 2011, Twitch got founded in 2011, which was 11 years ago. Instagram was around, you know, 2010, 2011, um, Facebook, you know, and Twitter a few years before that. And so it felt like, oh my God, there's new platforms all the time, right? And what's actually happened is since then, there's almost been no new platforms. The only new platform in the last 10 years is TikTok. That's TikTok. it. Everybody else that started, dead. Clubhouse, Triller, um, you know, whatever, uh, yik yak, right? They rise and they fall. But what has changed that I think you hit on is like the formats, the type, the like, you know, shift to video, right? So within those platforms, it is changing constantly, but the platforms yeah. themselves don't change, right? Um, except for TikTok, that's the only one, right? And even that one, I mean, was founded, I think musically, I think it was founded in 2014. I think it became TikTok in 2016, 2017. So even that one's like four or five years old, you know? So anyways, just an observation I've had. Um, no, yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of pros and the success mm -hmm. you've had since you came in. So again, this was a brand that was doing very well, like as a company, but I think from an influencer perspective, you know, you passed 21 brands in the last, you know, eight months or so. And so what were the tactics that you came in, like very tactic driven that you came in and employed that has led to that success, right? Like why, why are you passing Function of Beauty or Tresemme or these other brands um, who are probably trying to do this too, right? Yeah. I mean... First and foremost, I think we came in, um, and it is, we came in, I feel very humble to be here because the brand has been so successful. And so I get to just help push it a little bit further. But um, when we came in, you know, the observation I had was there was an opportunity to connect the beauty side of it with the tech side. And like, how do you mm -hmm. create that synergy between the two? And like, how do you create the heart, right? Um, and so as we were thinking about that, there's multiple ways to do that, but one way was thinking about influencers and your brand ambassadors and who can speak on behalf of the brand. And especially thinking about if this, the company being all about personalization, we need to show diversification. Yeah. Um, and I mean, diversification from content. I mean, diversification from creators. I mean, diversification across the board. And so as a team, you know, what we had considered was like, we were really building those relationships. I think they were much more um, leaning towards the paid side and we needed to really start developing more of the authentic relationship. So, so tactically speaking, um, 
we started to revisit, like, how are we spending our money when it came between paid and organic? We started to revisit, like, what was our tiering system and who did we want to partner with? We started mm -hmm. to think about what were the right creators that really represented pros. Um, we also started thinking about what formats, to your point, that were most engaging and that would mean a lot, especially when it came to hair. Um, so was it just about like tutorials and styles or was it about something more than that of what the company can offer and what it stands for? Um, and then ultimately, I think what we discovered was that there's such a synergy between paid and organic and they have to work like together is that we really brought the teams together on it. And so there was mm -hmm. one aligned strategy to help push this forward. So I would say between creator diversification, content diversification, and then synergizing the teams is really what's allowed us um, to kind of step change. And we were just been very focused. Um, I think yeah. also, as we think about, we just brought in a new product, Styling Gel. Um, it's the first custom styling gel out there on the market. And we hadn't had the opportunity um, to really express what it meant, right? And so one of our big kind of shifts was like, all right, we're gonna use influencers to help us with that and help tell the story and help bring that to life. Um, but we're gonna do it in an authentic way that's true to this brand and that's true to our values. And so we've also been pretty prescriptive of who we work with and why. Um, and it's led to a really mutual beneficial relationship. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think that uh, people tend to kind of over index on the paid side of things, right? Just because I think in some ways, digital advertising is great, right? You can very much get this direct kind of attribution. Um, but in a lot of ways, it you know, makes it so that you don't go to areas that maybe there isn't direct attribution, right? Where it's not as obvious kind of the path to purchase, but where you know it's still really important, right? So it's uh, it can be very tempting to say, I'm just gonna purely focus on things that are like directly attributable, um, but you actually miss a lot, right? If you're not, if you're not doing both. Um, so, there are a lot of people that want to become a CMO at some point, right? And I think you got to that role, again, we mentioned earlier, very early in your career, about 12 years in, very fast, right? To get that kind of C-level title at, you know, at a, at a notable brand. Um, and on top of that, for every CMO that comes in, you know, I would say that for every successful one, there's at least one unsuccessful one, right? So now you've done it twice in a row, at least so far, right? You've, uh, you've gotten in and and uh, the brands have done better than before you were involved. So what would you say are the characteristics that, you know, make a good CMO, number one? And then number two, you know, what, when you come into a new brand where you don't know the history, you don't know the people, you don't know the, you know, still getting to know the product, et cetera, what is your process of kind of immersing yourself in order to be really effective, right? Because um, you have to understand, you know, the market, right? It's marketing. Mm -hmm. So. Um, talk about those two things for me. So what makes a good CMO? That's a great question. I wish I knew that answer a long time ago. Um, <laughs> um, I think there's a few things. Um, first and foremost, it's the team that you build. Like mm -hmm. you're definitely, it's who you surround yourself with. Um, to be very effective, you need to have a strong, diverse uh, leadership team, and you need to find people that complement you, right? Like, I think that's one of the key things and that can challenge um, so that you're having positive like challenges in terms of really figuring out how you're gonna move this, the brand forward um, and also kind of push you, right? Like, I think that's the thing. Um, part of, I think being a great CMO is being really curious as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that both from like, even as a CMO, 
like in terms of a characteristic, but also when you're coming into a new brand, it's all about curiosity. It's all about yeah. trying to understand um, what's working, what's not working, why, kind of getting that like second, third layer underneath um, to kind of figure out what, where you need to make an impact or how potentially you could make a positive impact. Um, and so I think being curious around all facets is super, super important because whatever you did in your past, and I think this is a learn that I've, you know, I take really wholeheartedly is like, is it necessarily going to apply where you are today? And so I learned a tremendous amount in the last few companies that I was at, but it's all situational and it depends where the company's at. It depends where the team, it depends what you're trying to do. So if you come in with like a planned agenda, it's typically you're going to not typically you could fail, right? I think there's more likelihood is that you could fail. But I think if you come curious, I think it it changes kind of uh, not only the mindset of yourself, but the mindset of your team and the people. And it creates um, more openness, I would say, to really kind of unveil where you need to focus. I think the third thing when it comes to being from a trait perspective is prioritization. There's so many things you can do. Yeah. <laughs> and, <you> do it <laughs> every day. <laughs> and, and I think at the end of the day is you need to be able to prioritize and figure out at what is going to make the big, biggest impact and provide the, you know, the largest return and probably at the lowest lift, um, especially mm-hmm. with companies where at the stages that I'm coming in, because you're not going to have unlimited resources. You are going to be still actively growing. So you're going to be building the plane, flying the plane, you know, changing the engine. You're going to be doing a lot of things at the same time. And if you don't have a clear agenda and if you're not prioritized, it will make it very easy to go to shift gears. And I think yeah. if, and I think that's part of the success. Um, so I would say team prioritization and being really curious. I love that. I mean, that is a, uh, I mean, it's a playbook for a CEO as well as a CMO, right? I think in some ways, which is, you know, I think the next step for you, which will be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that I very much align with that. I think when I talk to, cause I've talked to, you know, a lot of people now that have been, you know, fairly successful and it's like who you surround yourself with is ultimately how you're going to perform. Right. Yeah. Um, and then on the focus side of things, like that's the hardest part, right? There's so many sure. different things you can do. The phrase and you'll are get really- in different directions because people have different needs. Right. And at the end of the day, you have to be that kind of pillar and that focus to help make it move forward. Yeah. Well, I remember Anastasia during the early days, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, they hadn't posted a tweet in like four years, but they were like, we just went all in on Instagram. Like that was it. That was the only channel we focused on. Um, there's a phrase from a guy named Frank Slootman, who's a, he's a internet, like a software executive. And he's taken three different, he's a CEO of Snowflake. And he's taken three different companies as CEO to being worth over $10 billion. Um, I think Snowflake's like $100 billion and $50 billion or something. And um, his phrase is like reduce, uh, or it's like increase focus, increase impact or something like that, right? Like a reduce scope, increase impact. Um, So, you know, uh, it just makes a ton of sense. And then the third one, what was it? You said focus, team was the third one. Uh, what did I say? Uh, I said, (laughs) (laughs) rewind the tape. It was really good though. I said, uh, I said team, I said prioritization and being curious. Yes. And on the curious side of things, I mean, I think for us, you know, we found a lot of success in that, right? That's part of the value of doing this podcast is you just like sit down with like the CEO of Tula and be like, what are you doing? 
And actually you're doing it a little bit differently than other people are doing. Right. And I want to know why. And, and for us, a lot of what we've built is like talking to a pros or talking to a Knicks or talking to like rare beauties on fire. Be like, what are you doing? Like you're doing better than everybody else. Why? You know, and then try to build around that. Cause inevitably right. that's what other people will do. Right. And so, um, and I've definitely had people comment, like, I can tell you're genuinely curious in these interviews. Like, I'm not, I don't have an agenda. Like, I want to know. Like, I'm going to assume I don't know. Um, so, okay, cool. Let's do one more question. And then we'll do kind of a fun end of show question. Sure. So I think TikTok is a very interesting challenge for many brands. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but obviously hottest social channel in the world right now in terms of growth. It's where the eyeballs are going. But at the same time, you know, we see that branded content is a lot lower on that channel versus say Instagram, because it just doesn't perform as well, right? Because, you know, TikTok's goal is to show you the most entertaining content. And that's kind of their, you know, their language. And we just did a big tour with them, right? Um, but obviously branded content isn't generally the most entertaining stuff, right? Like, yeah. and so what are your thoughts on kind of TikTok as a channel? How are you thinking about investment there? Has it been working? Are you increasing, decreasing? Kind of hit all those things. Sure. Um, so TikTok, love TikTok. Yeah. I, love I use it every day. So I'm like a big yeah. time user of it, right? So I think, so tick in, you know, going back to, I think you made an earlier statement, certain platforms have disappeared. It doesn't feel like TikTok's gonna disappear. So no. I think there's, yes. So it's staying. So with that said, um, the way in which we've approached it, it's it's different, right? It has definitely a blended approach of both organic and paid. On the organic side, obviously, or more of the brand awareness driver, there's definitely more success there and opportunity. I think on the paid side, with the algorithm being still relatively young um, and still evolving, um, it's there's definitely room for it to grow in some of its other, you know, comparison to other competitors. Mm -hmm. So it is evolving. We think it's it's an important channel within the mix. Um, we are continuing to test and learn with it. Um, and we continue to test and learn with it because we think it's going to be here for a while. So it's figuring out how does it work, uh, figuring out what makes it most successful um, from a content perspective, diverse, you know, creator perspective. Um, and but right now it's 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 part of our test and learn plan just to figure it out. But it's definitely something we're focused on. Um, and it's, we're keeping a very close eye on it. Yeah. Okay. Good. That makes sense. All right. Let's do the fun end of show question. And then I'll let okay. you get back to the many things that you have going on. Sure. I'm sure. Um, so if you were to start your own brand, what category would it be in? And have you thought about this at all? Generally? It's a great question. I actually have gotten <laughs> this question before. Um, if I was to start my own brand, I probably would not do something in beauty. I would do something completely different. Um, I've had an amazing run within beauty and that's for right now, but um, I don't know what I would do. I actually don't know. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've thought about the same and it's like, it's the, the tough part is, right? When you get really good at something, it's like, man, it's hard to walk away from this. You know, it's it like, is. you know, like we're like, you know, if we were to start a new company, would I start a software company in the social media space? I don't know. 
I know a lot about it. Like got yeah. a big leg up over other people if I decide to do it. Um, which again, we are all in. We're gonna be here for a long time, but uh, it's a it's a question you pose, right? Um, yeah, and okay. it's interesting. After all the categories that I've worked on, I will say the one that is most fun or like nearest. I actually love hair, and I don't say mm. that because of with pros right now. But I think hair, as I've learned over the years, is just another way of expression. And it's playful, it's fun, um, it's expression, you know, like it's it's an interesting category. And when you add the stylus to it, it's a whole nother new world. So um, yeah. if I had to play in a category, I may play in hair. Okay, okay, I dig it. Um, well, I really appreciate you taking out the time today. I learned a lot, I had a lot of fun, and I know um, I'm excited for the next uh, 19 years of your career, as well as the next eight years, <laughs> as well as the next, um, you know, our next eight years of knowing each other. So, uh, so thanks for taking the time. I get up. This is a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Thanks, Connor. All right. Bye. Be a friend, tell a friend and subscribe. Earned by Creator IQ. Creator IQ is your all-in-one solution to grow, manage, scale, and measure your influencer marketing program. Ready to unlock the power of the creator economy? Get started with a demo today at creatoriq.com.